Are you ready for Word today? Yes. All right, let's get into the Word. I'll meet you in 1 Corinthians. We're going to do a little bit of the Apostle Paul to begin with today. And we are continuing our journey into the creed so that we can understand the roots of our theology. I want to make sure that I make this abundantly clear. We are talking about who we believe in. All right? We're not trying to knock out dotting I's, crossing T's of all of the finer lines of theology. In fact, I think we get in the weeds a lot of times, chasing, trying to figure out this thing and that thing and spending a lot of time on things that maybe bring some peace, maybe bring more confusion while leaving alone. We have a father, the son, and the Holy Spirit that ought to be central to our faith. So what we're trying to do is get back to the centrality of that so that in this house, God is not on the peripheral. God is not just God. He is our father. He's a good father. When you see his face, he shows his goodness to you. He hides you in the cleft of a rock. What's a cleft? That's the same word, by the way, in the Hebrew for wounds. He hides you in the wound and shows you his goodness. Where's the wound? In the Son, Jesus Christ, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. What did Jesus do for me? He was wounded for my transgressions, bruised for my transgressions. This is where we were last week. Why are we doing that? So that by seeing the wounds in Jesus, you see where your wounds belong. And when you put your wounds into Jesus, you realize that if you could just let him have them, you'd see the goodness of God. That hiding inside the cleft of his wound is where you get to see the face of the Father who loves you in spite of yourself. Or as I like to say, forgives you whether you like it or not. Loves you whether you like it or not. Wants you whether you like it or not. I didn't say he's going to make you. I didn't say that he will take your will away. But too bad if you don't want Jesus to have died for you. He's already done it. <laughs> too bad if you don't care if the Father loves you. He already loves you. Too bad if you say forgiveness isn't for me. Too bad he's forgave you anyway. I want you to walk in it. I want you to see the beauty of it. I preach these things so that your faith grows. We pray the creed so that our faith grows, so that we say, he is my father. Jesus is real and alive and I'm able to have life in him. So that's the purpose for this. We get to crucified, died, and buried. There's an alternate universe where Pastor Paul White would preach three sermons out of this line. He would preach crucified one week, died one week, and buried one week. And he would drag the creed into a four-year event. <laughs> but I'm trying not to give in to that when I know that there are so many beautiful things that we can say um, if we trim the fat a little bit. And so I want to today, we're going to see Jesus crucified. We're going to see that Jesus died. And we're going to see that Jesus is buried. And as you can expect, that has massive implications for your day-to-day -day walk. This isn't a history lesson. We talk about Jesus crucified. It's not just a lesson in him dying. I put an icon up today. It's way too far away for you to see, I understand. So before you're done, you want to drift by and take a look. Putting up another icon today of the, of the crucified 
Christ and a lot of the things happening around his crucifixion. I'm obsessed in some respects with this crucifixion moment of Jesus. And one of the reasons that I'm obsessed, I think, in this season, um, this is the most astonishing admission. I know we haven't read yet. Okay, we're going to read in a second. This is the most astonishing admission in the creed. Because by saying he's crucified and celebrating it, it's lost on us. Because for us, the cross is a great thing. Should be. Because we know how the story ends. But I want you to get rid of you knowing how the story ends, and I want to make it as offensive as I can make it. Because it's offensive. It would sound like this to you. I believe in the one who died in the electric chair. In our culture, who dies in electric chairs? Criminals. So in Jesus' culture, to be crucified is to die at the hands of the state, to be convicted of a crime so heinous that you aren't allowed to live, and to be a foreigner. Because they didn't crucify their own. They didn't crucify those loyal. They crucified the outsider. They crucified the stranger. They crucified the grievously guilty. And Jesus goes to the cross, and I'll not blame the Jews, and I'll not blame Israel, and I'll not blame religion, and I'll not blame Rome by themselves. We are all complicit because Jesus steps into our death when he goes to the cross. And for Christians, it ought to actually give us some tension in our relationship with government and power that our Savior faced off with the powers that be. Our gospel reading today was render to Caesar what is Caesar's, render to God's what is God's. Here's the beauty of that. What's God's? Us and everything. Jesus is giving a very subversive statement. Render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Render to God what belongs to God. Go home and wrestle with what belongs to God. And if you get home and wrestle with what belongs to God, you go, uh-oh, what if it all belongs to God? Then my first loyalty becomes to the Father. And then my second loyalty at best would be to Caesar. And Caesar better line up with my Father because if he doesn't, he doesn't get my loyalty at all. Oh, and then that, that kind of stuff will get you on a cross. And you signed up for, to follow him. Congratulations. That really at the core is Christianity. We picked the one who went to the cross. When we affirm in the creed he's crucified, we are saying we follow the one who died at the hands of the powers that be. We follow the one who died a criminal. We follow the one who, in our terms, to make it super offensive, we follow the one who went to the electric chair. And everyone knows the connotations of what that means. And we follow him and we follow him willingly. Here's how Paul says it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I want to read a couple of different passages inside of the Corinthian letter. I do this to show you that Paul lays as the chief foundation of his ministry the cross of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 1. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 
This is a great passage for you to remember because Paul says, I could have talked about God in lofty words, in big theology, but instead I want to distill it down to the simplest thing I can about God. And the simplest thing I can say about God is Jesus Christ was crucified. Inside of that message is everything I want to say about God, that God would become a man, he would be anointed to be the redeemer, and he would step into the cruelest and most awful death possible by taking guilt upon himself. That's what crucified is. And by taking guilt upon himself and then be crucified, I'm giving you everything you need to know about who God is. Now go to 15, same book, same writer, same audience, but an advancement of the crucifixion message. As you go to 15, let me give you, and this is about as deep as you want to get into Bible school on a Sunday morning. <laughs> so I'll try not to go too far with this, but if you want to watch the advancement of a mind at work, read Paul left to right. Don't read him in little pieces. So every time you can, like read the whole book of Romans. Read the whole book of 1 Corinthians. I know you can't do this every day. I understand. But once in a while, carve out some time and go, I'm going to read it front to back and watch how the theology stands on top of itself. And sometimes it circles around themes. And sometimes Paul says one thing, then runs over here and then comes back and says it a little better. And then runs over here and comes back and says it a little better. He does that a lot in Romans. In the Corinthian letter, he opens with, I'm just going to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then he talks and he talks and he talks and he talks. And he gets to chapter 15, verse 3. I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. I handed on to you the, what was first important. What was that? Christ crucified. Then, verse 4. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So by the time Paul gets to the end of the letter, he goes, I got more to say. I told you, I got nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified, but I've changed my mind. 15 chapters later, I now go, no, it's not just Jesus Christ crucified. It's Jesus Christ crucified, died and buried and then raised from the dead. Because there's a whole bunch of stuff happening when Jesus is crucified and he's died and he's buried. One more thought about the word crucified. It's a subversive word because for the early Christians that said this in the creed, what they were saying is that Rome got it wrong. That's risky. That was risky. Because what they're saying is, we're following the one who was crucified. You should have never crucified him. I mean, you crucify people who've done something wrong. Jesus stepped into my doing wrong and was crucified. So it was a subversive portion of the creed. I want to talk to you about three things today. Pretty obvious, right? Crucified, died, and buried. What happens when we finally understand that Jesus was crucified? Well, the whole, the whole reason why we are saved, and I put saved in air quotes, not because I don't like the term, but because I think we use it so loosely that we don't really even know what it means. For a lot of people, if I say saved, that's the moment you prayed a prayer and gave your heart to Christ. But I now think saved is a process that I go through over and over and over again. I've been saved. You know what I've been saved from the most? 
myself. <laughs> like I've been saved from wrong thinking and stupid decisions. And, and if, if I thought that was all over with, I'd be really excited, but I'm pretty sure it's not. So my salvation, my salvation is still very much in my future. So when people go, no, you got saved once. I think, well, man, you're better than I am because I'm getting saved all the time. Like I'm having to be saved from a bunch of stuff that I'm doing to me, that's done to me, that I'm involved in, that I'm around and that I might get myself into. So to me, I put saved in air quotes because I don't want it to just be an event in the past. Okay. So, but when we got saved, what we did is we come in through the idea that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, right? Most of us. And I know I'm painting with a broad brush there because there's a lot of ways that people come to Christ. But for the most part, we go, Jesus died for your sins. And then if we think about it, we go, well, why did he have to die for our sins? And then our follow-up is because we were going to die for our sins. And then if we think about that, we go, well, aren't we still going to die? And that's usually the point where they go, well, quit asking questions. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like, you already asked too many questions. Just follow Jesus. Okay, well, well follow Jesus is actually really good advice. Uh, you know, that stop asking questions is probably bad advice. Go ahead and ask questions and and dig in a little bit. The truth is, is that we are still going to die. And we we still step into that. So the big question then is, what is this crucifixion, death, and buried all about if I'm still going to physically die? That causes us to spiritualize what happens at the cross. Then we start to look at Jesus being crucified as having done individual things for us spiritually. Like, for instance, Christ redeemed us. You heard the word redeemed, the word redemption. Why is the word redemption important to us as Christians? Because when you redeem something, you purchase it. You buy it out of wherever it is. And we know that we've been slaves to things and we need bought out of it because we aren't making real good decisions on our own. And we know that we're trapped in mindsets, we're trapped in sins, and we're trapped in problems. We also know, and this is a little less popular, but this is just as true, redemption in the old biblical terms had as much to do with what you were signed into as it did what you were taken out of. And so a lot of us think of redemption as I'm out of the world of sin, but we don't think of it the way we should. I've been put into the will. So if you're put into someone's will, what's that mean? Well, it means that you get something that was allotted to you upon their death. Maybe you get everything, maybe you get a little bit If you're in the will, then they willed you to be there, right? It's not against their will. That's why we use the phrase, why is it called their will? Because it was their will to put you there. When God brings us into the family and blesses us with every spiritual gift in heavenly places, he brings us into an inheritance through Christ. Therefore, the cross is redemption, not just buying me out of sin, but buying me into the will of God. I've been placed by God's will into the inheritance. That's the cross. That's redemption. That's the death of God. So why do we need Jesus to die? Because Hebrews says, if there's a testament, there must be a death of the testator. So if there's a last will and testament, how does it kick in? Somebody's got to die. Right? So God says, I want to give you all of this. And so that you are an inheritor, I will give you this testament. I'll show you my death so that you'll know it all belongs to you. So that when we look at the cross, we're then looking at our inheritance. We're looking at God going, I take this inheritance business so serious that I'll die for you. 
Why'd you need to die from it? Because you know that the last will and testament can't kick in until someone dies. So I'm going to die so that you'll know that you belong. There's a, a reason. Notice I didn't say the reason. There's a reason for crucified. Why didn't I say the reason? Because there's a bunch of reasons Jesus dies. And I've made the mistake so many times of going, here's why Jesus died on the cross. And then I say one thing. Well, no, that's one of the reasons that Jesus died on the cross. What about propitiation? There's a big word we like to throw around in Christianity. It's also a word that's translated satisfaction. What's it mean to propitiate? So, well, the Bible has the story of man offering sacrifices. From the Old Testament on, we're killing animals like crazy. Well, I, I saw a master's or a, a, a PhD thesis that said probably. Two billion lambs between the time of the Sinai Covenant and the tearing of the veil in the temple in AD 70. Two billion plus lambs. The entire economy of shepherds in the Bible was for sacrifice. You want a freebie? Here's a freebie. You want to know why it's so amazing that Jesus calls himself the good shepherd? Because if the economy of shepherding is all about killing lambs for sacrifice, Jesus flips it and says... The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And everyone went, no, he doesn't. That's stupid. Really, good shepherd don't give his life for the sheep. If the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, the sheep don't have a shepherd. And Jesus is telling you in daddy's economy, he isn't asking for your sheep. I'll be the sheep. He isn't asking you to give him something. Father's asked me to give you something. You get that? So the whole Bible is built on that propitiation story, satisfying God. So what's man doing? Slitting throats of lambs and bulls to appease God. And Jesus comes along and says, I am the appeasement. I am the satisfaction for the sacrificial issue. I'm the good shepherd. I give my life for the sheep. The sheep don't give their life for me. So Jesus at the cross is giving a message to you that says, I'm inviting you into my death, but I'm not asking you to hang yourself every day for me. I'm inviting you into what I do, but I'm not asking you to go out and do it. I'm asking you to join me in what I do. Join me in my death, put your faith in my death, so that, and we'll get to he raised again, so that new creation possibility is out in your future. He's also, and and. Propitiation is a big one that satisfaction propitiation. First John 2 says that he propitiated not only our sins, but the whole world. So don't ever exclude people that aren't in your circle from propitiation and satisfaction and redemption. It doesn't work that way. This isn't an, I know we want it to be an exclusive club where we've said the right prayer and, and did our thing and paid our tithes. And then God goes, Ooh, I'm going to bless this group, but not that group. But Jesus didn't die just for you. Jesus didn't die just for me. He has propitiated the whole world. He's not even asking the unbeliever to jump through hoops. He's already jumped through the hoop. He's asking the unbeliever to believe. If they'll believe, I can do all. I can transform their life, he says, if they'll believe. But if they don't believe, I still did the work. This is what I love about talking about finished work. When you talk about finished work, he's finished the work. I told you this a moment ago, whether you like it or not. He can't unfinish the work. He's already propitiated. He's already satisfied. God's not dissatisfied. Looking down at the earth going, boy, they're really disappointing me. 
They're really ticking me off. Now, how many of, don't, don't raise your hand, but how many of you came up in Christian circles where God was being ticked off progressively? Progressively getting madder and madder and more and more angry. And every hurricane and every earthquake and every train wreck and plane crash and outbreak might be God trying to teach somebody a lesson. And what it does is it undermines your confidence that he's a good father. And it undermines your confidence that Jesus finished the work. And it doesn't give you any assurance that you're pleasing God. And so you just keep trying to do good deeds so God will be happy with you. And so God won't get mad at you. And have you noticed in that it was always easy to find somebody God must be mad at. And it was never you. And it was always easy to try to determine why God was mad. And it was always the sin you're not committing. So whenever you'd look at those hurricane victims, you'd just go through their city and their codes and their laws and what they passed last year and try to figure out which law ticked God off. And it was never the one you're breaking. It was always those heathens out there that are voting in all this garbage. No wonder God shows up and kills a bunch of kids. See, we should have been saying it that way. It should have slapped us upside the head. We should have heard it that way and go, you know what? God killed a bunch of kids this week because of someone's sin. And we would have all squirmed in our seat and went, wait a minute. That don't sound right. But no, we got to church it up a little bit, make it look like God's got a righteous indignation and that nothing really actually happened at the cross. Why does Paul preach Christ and him crucified? Because if you preach Christ and him crucified, you're going to see all the stuff that's already went into Jesus. If you get up and you preach everything else, you push Christ crucified to the peripheral of your faith so you can master all these little theological principles until it doesn't really matter anymore that Jesus paid it all because he hadn't paid it all for so-and-so. Hadn't paid it all for that guy. Hadn't paid it all for them. And we become finger-pointing Christians instead of arms open. This says, come to Jesus. Come to a Father who loves you. Come to a God who's already paid the price for you. Oh yes, bring your stuff. Bring your sin. Bring your baggage. Bring your problems. You're not scaring Him. <laughs> bring the real you. He loves you. He cares for you. Bring it all to Him. And here's one more thing. We're only on the first. I know I've got three. I'm going to move fast through a couple of them. Here's one more thing the cross does that we've got to talk about. The cross is the source of reconciliation. This is my favorite one. Reconciliation is that God reconciled us to himself. You're in 1 Corinthians? Just slide over to 2 Corinthians. Let me show you one from Paul's next letter. I got a few more scriptures for you, so don't give up on me yet on reading scriptures. But look at 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 and 19. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Before I read one more word, I want to remind you of two things you just read. One, God has already reconciled the world to himself. He did that. In other words, God doesn't see one thing going on in the world 
that he hasn't taken care of. So he's pulled the earth as close to himself as he can. All things in Christ consist. God's reconciled the world to himself. Look at what else he did. He gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. So what are we supposed to be doing, Garden? Ministry of reconciliation. That, that's our call. See that? That's our call right there. That's what we're supposed to This is why we get up and we come here and we sit and we look at each other and we talk about Jesus. I love you. But I don't love you enough to come in here and not talk about the reconciliation. <laughs> That's the reason why we are a family is because we believe in a God who reconciled. We're not family because of blood, but we're family because we have this belief that God has reconciled us back and we have a ministry. What's our ministry? Here's the beauty of it. Paul actually then tells you what your sermon is supposed to sound like if you actually believed that ministry of reconciliation was your call. Okay, here's what it's supposed to be. 19, here's the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself by not counting their trespasses against them and entrusts that message of reconciliation to us. What is the ministry of reconciliation? God has already done it. And he did it by not counting your transgressions against you. Wow. Wow. This is your test. Okay? You're going to have to do this, and you're going to have to make this a part of your life. And I'm, and I'm, not, and I'm saying this in very certain terms. Okay? Because this is... This is me laying bare what I believe of the gospel. If this is offensive, you need to pray this week about whether or not this is what you want to be a part of. It is our job. It is our call to tell people that God is not in the bookkeeping business. He does not keep accurate records of what you're doing. Not counting. That's an accounting term in the Greek. Not counting your transgress, their, trans, their transgressions against them. God at Calvary took it all, put it in Jesus and said, I'm done counting. I'm not going to count anymore. It doesn't. And, and people get scared. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, that means anything goes. Okay. Be careful. Don't push me. Anything does go in regards to did God count it against them? No, he didn't. Anything goes, he didn't count it against Why? Because Christ is crucified. Because it's already counted. Not because God doesn't take it serious, but because he took it so serious that he went to the cross for it. He took it. So you go, do you got take sin serious? Oh, yes. I take sin so serious that I preach Christ crucified. I take it so serious that I see all of it in Jesus so that I don't want to live in that because I know I have a little hint of how terrible crucifixion is. And why would I want to step into voluntarily what put my Jesus on the cross? Doesn't mean I don't fail. Doesn't mean I don't have sin. It means that God's not counting it against me because Jesus has died. Aren't you glad for the cross? So God's not in bookkeeping business. 
Here, here's the thing. This is why I got so serious with you a second ago. It wasn't being melodramatic. I mean this. This is my whole core. This is it for me. I mean, this is the whole ministry. If God's in the bookkeeping business, it'll color how you read the Bible. But if you'll become convinced God's not in the bookkeeping business, that too will color how you read the Bible. And so you'll read stories and go, yes, but God's not in the bookkeeping business. How do you know? Because Jesus was crucified. Well, what's that mean? That means God was in Christ reconciling the world back to himself, giving to us the ministry of reconciliation. Not counting their transgressions against them and told me I'm supposed to go preach it too. Now, when that chapter closes, Paul turns to his audience and goes, so please be reconciled to God. In other words, he's going, God's already done the work. All he's asking is you to say yes. Just jump in, man. This is, the, this is the eternal life. Jump in. I'd like to show you how to live. You don't know how to live. You're out here doing whatever. I can show you how to live. Just jump in. It's good water. It's living water. All of that's crucified. I should be done. Talk about died, buried. But I'm not. We're going we're gonna to land this plane with died and with buried. Here's my thought. I said this to you earlier. When we say Jesus died, we'll go, why? We'll go, well, he died for our sins. Um, can I push back against that a little bit? Yes, I know it's true. I, I do. He died for our sins. But you want to know why he died? And I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to be simplistic, but I am trying to be a little simple right here. He died because you're going to die. He died because you're... Okay, Hebrews chapter 9 because it doesn't do me any good to have this platitude or this statement if i don't at least have some scripture to look at right hebrews chapter 9 i want to read for you the most famous funeral verse in the bible (laughs) i know i've done a lot of funerals okay hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 i've done a lot of funerals and i've been to a lot of funerals and we love to read this just as it is appointed for mortals to die once, after that the judgment. We usually read Hebrews 9.27 at a funeral as a way of letting people know this guy, this gal, was destined to die. The Bible says it was appointed for men once to die after this the judgment. And here's how we handle that. We go, they died, now they're going to go off and be judged. But how many of, you, how many of your Bibles have another verse right after that? Anybody? Okay. I just want to make sure. And I want you to also notice that our translators knew it wasn't over with. They didn't put a period at the end of the verse. They stuck a comma in there because they didn't want you to stop reading. I wish they had really not wanted you to stop reading and just made it all the same verse. Because we probably would have read the whole thing. So before we read 28, let's read 27 again. Let's just slide our way right into whatever the writer of Hebrews is saying. Just as it's appointed for mortals to die once, and after that the judgment, so Christ, having been offered, how many times? Once. To bear the sins of many will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Christ's appearance is not to deal with sin. Well, why wouldn't it be? Because he went to the cross once. Let me make a connection for you. I'm not, I know you're, you're adults. You don't need an ABC connection. But I'm going to give you one anyway, all right? You don't need it, but I'm going to give you one anyway because not everybody that... We, a lot of people watch these and they need them and there's not everybody on the same page. So I want to make, a, let's make a real elementary connection. It's appointed unto men to die how many times? 
So Christ died how many times? Did you notice that verse 27 says you're going to die once, and then verse 28 says he died once? Why did they use the same number? Because Jesus stepped into your appointment with death. He didn't say that you won't physically die. He just says, I've already been here. It's okay. So that when we step into death, he goes, come on in. The water's fine. I got you. It's an appointment that you have to meet. So I've already met it so that I can hold your hand into it. Hebrews said he died so that all of us who all of our lifetimes were afraid of death wouldn't have to be. Crucified, died, and buried. Why buried? Well, you know, because buried's obvious. If you're dead, you got to put the body on the ground, right? Now, in the culture of Jesus, they put the body on the ground so that they can go visit. They don't put the body on the ground in the culture of Jesus. They put the body above ground, usually in a cave, usually owned by an entire family, sometimes as large maybe as this room with slots for the bodies. And you would go in to visit that body, and after a couple of years, as it starts to decompose, and the body starts to wear away to dust, they would collect the ash, the dust of those bodies, and they would put them in little boxes. We now use an urn after a cremation, but in that culture, they'd put them in what was called an ossuary, in a little box, and then you would move them out of the family tomb because more people are going to die, so that you can move the next body into the tomb. And they would anoint the bodies after burials because they start to stink pretty quickly, but you still wanted to visit. The culture that Jesus came up in had a much different viewpoint of the body after death than our culture does. But Jesus was teaching a resurrection. And so Jesus talks a lot about being buried because burial was necessary in order to get to a resurrection. Because if you buried it, then you could have the next step which was a resurrection. So our old man has a place to go to rest. The Bible talks about being buried. Look at Romans chapter 6. And this will be my landing spot for burial. Romans chapter 6. This is Paul again, by the way. Same guy that did our Corinthian letter. In Romans chapter 6, verse 3, Paul says, Do you not know... That all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. Therefore we've been, and here's our word from the creed, buried with Him by baptism in the death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Why does the creed affirm that Jesus was buried? Because burial is necessary to get to a resurrection. Why does Paul affirm burial for the believer? Because Paul affirms that resurrection is our destiny. And I don't just mean out in our future. I mean in Christ. That I get to go into Christ and then be buried. This is why we have the sacrament of water baptism. And that's why I take water baptism very serious. Because for 2,000 years, believers have been standing in the water. The Apostles' Creed, by the way, was the baptismal prayer for the first several hundred years of the creed. You prayed that, and then they dunked you into the water. It was your affirmation. This is what I believe. This is who I believe. And then into the water. Why do we do this? We go into the waters because Christ goes crucified, died, buried, so that we come up 
to walk in a newness of life. So the sacrament of baptism has been the way that Christians have preached the cross. Let me say this. I might be taking this too far. I'm willing to take that chance. I believe in it this much. I've told you that one of the reasons why we have a faulty understanding of the new covenant is because we don't take enough communion. Like if we took the sacrament, and we do, but if we take the sacrament, we'll get an understanding of the covenant because I get body and blood. It's mine. I get to come to the table. All the stuff we get to... One of the reasons we don't understand the cross is because we don't take water baptism serious. Died. Crucified. Died. Buried. So that I can be resurrected. And if I took my water baptism serious, I might realize, this is why I say to people, if they go, I'm having real trouble understanding God as my father. I'm having a real trouble understanding my, my identity in Christ. I, I ask people, go, when's the last time you were baptized? And, and a lot of times people will go, well, I don't know. I got baptized when I was a kid. I don't even remember it. I go, let me introduce you to the cross of Jesus Christ. Crucified, died, and was buried. Because like taking that sacrament of communion, the sacrament of baptism puts you at Calvary. To realize that the old you has passed away and a brand new you is on the scene. It's good news to me that Jesus was crucified, died, buried. Father, I thank you for this today. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for this precious word that I've been marinating on for months as you've put me in, emerged me into the theology of the creed to see who I believe in and at these points in the creed I'm finding out why do I believe in him so I pray for the garden this morning for every one of us who need a revelation of crucified died and buried and I pray for every person watching who by extension is a part of what you're doing in this house that they'll see crucified died and buried as well in Jesus name amen